Hi, this is Taylor Stuber. And this is Sean Smithgall. We are both clinical pharmacists, faculty members, and your hosts for The Postgraduate Pharmacist. Welcome back, Sasso Squad, and any new listeners to another episode of The Postgraduate Pharmacist, where we're all about helping you separate and stand out as you prepare for postgraduate training. From current events to expert advice, we bring you up-to-date content every other Monday related to postgraduate training. Join the Sasso Squad today and follow us on Twitter at PG Pharmacist or Instagram and LinkedIn at The Postgraduate Pharmacist. And check out our website at postgraduatepharmacist.com where you can get all of our latest content. If you love the show and want to support what we're doing, check out ways to spread the word on our website or buy us a cup of coffee. We could always use the caffeine. Welcome to another episode of our fundamental series here on the Postgraduate Pharmacist, where this time we're talking about forecasts, which... What's that fancy for, Taylor? Forecast is the Pharmacy Online Residency Centralized Application Service. It will soon be your best friend if you are going for postgraduate training that requires you to use Forecast in the future. So the purpose of this episode is to give you all just the overview of what is Forecast, what to expect with forecasts, some tips and things that you should consider when using forecasts, and then looking at the other side, you know, what does our residency program directors and what do programs see in terms of forecasts and how do they utilize it and what do they kind of look for? So let's start off with just some of the basic stuff. So you gave the nice fancy word for it, Taylor. Like what is the purpose of forecasts? Basically, it's just this centralized database or tool, web-based tool that kind of brings together all of the pieces of your residency applications. So instead of submitting an application to every individual application to every single program that you're applying to, it's all centralized in this one database that you can send out to multiple different programs. So it's a, it's really nice in the fact that it kind of streamlines things for both applicants and for programs as well. Yeah, if you ever talk to some of the like older faculty, yeah. which I did when I was a student, they would tell you like back in the day they had to like take these manila yep. envelopes and mail out individual trans like individual applications to every single program. And that was before the days of tracking. So you're you're just yeah. hoping it gets there. And when you, you're waiting on that phone call or something like weeks later. Yeah. And it had to go to forecast or, or had to go to some central place first to get the transcripts. And then, yeah, I remember them talking about it and that just, it just sounded awful. So I kind of tuned out after that. Luckily, even though forecast, I think could probably use a, a makeover, I think, <laughs> and we'll get into that, but I think it is a good thing overall. Makes it easier. It definitely makes it easier. And in, in knowing what you're sending and who you're sending to and being able to kind of like watch that in real time and, and track everything. So I want to start, I want to first highlight that, you know, you have forecasts, but forecasts is actually just one of several other kind of applications and software that's going on in terms of the match. So you've got forecasts, which is really the company partners with ASHP to put that out there. So it's a tailored for pharmacy. And then you've got in connection with the forecast tool, you have the national matching service and they coordinate to the the national matching service, ASHP's national matching service, where the match happens is coordinated with 
forecasts. And, and so you do some of those unique things on there, like registering for the match. Mm-hmm. You also have this program called Web Admit, which I had never even heard of Web Admit when I was a student. Had, had you have heard of that ever? I had never heard of it before. I'd only heard about it as a faculty member. And even then, I wasn't too familiar with it because I wasn't a program director. I thought you just got emails as program directors from Forecast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all the applicants. Well, there you so, go. WebAdmit is what essentially the program seeing. It's another user interface where all the applicants and their full applications come in. It also has a lot of things that aren't really important to to students applying where it lets programs like actually rank things and put in some rubrics. That's probably a a software or a tool that you wouldn't be using as an applicant. You might on the back end when you're a resident and you're helping green applicants potentially, or as a, as a preceptor or program director, you would potentially have access to that tool. So the, the two kind of big things that you'll be using are forecast, which is basically your profile where you kind of upload some of the information from your CV, your transcripts as well. And then the, like you were mentioning the national matching service that you'll register for separately, it links back to forecast. So within forecast, you choose which programs you apply to and they each have a national matching service ID number that is tied to that program. So they, they kind of talk to one another. And so when you apply there, then it sends it out and then all their rankings and everything will be run through the national matching service. So these are two separate things, but kind of have to participate in both of them. And it's important to note that even though you're not dealing with WebAdmit, when you select, just like you said, you select the programs and forecasts, the programs can actually see you've done that in WebAdmit. So from the moment you start an application with a program, like you've just selected, hey, I'm, I might apply to this program and you haven't really done anything yet. Your information shows up on WebAdmit for programs to see like where you are at in the application process. And it, they'll actually see like, is it in progress? Was it completed? Was it received? Is it on hold? So they can track who all is starting to apply and who's completely applied to them throughout the whole process. But going back, probably the thing most people are worried about, which is cost. So does it does forecast cost money? What are all the costs associated with it? What are what are candidates looking to pay out of pocket? Well, y'all, I wish I could bring you better news and I I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it does cost you money. So both forecasts and the national matching service separately cost money. So I guess we can kind of talk about, you know, the registration and the initial fees Mm -hmm. and then what that means for for you down the road. But the initial fee, and this was as of 2019, I think the fees are the same now in 2023 or very similar, maybe slightly increased. And so I wouldn't expect to be much different than this. But the initial forecast application fee is $110. And that's going to buy you four programs to apply to. So you can apply to up to four programs by that $110. What, what if I choose to only apply to two programs? Still going to be $110. Uh-huh. So if you if you're buying that <laughs> buying that uh, initial fee, you might as well you might as well use it all. And you know you might not be able to, but you're going to get the opportunity to apply to up to four programs. And that's where we recommend pick at least four to apply to, since you basically paid for yeah. it. But oftentimes, candidates will apply to more than four, and I would say that's 
probably an advisable thing to do, especially if you aren't limited in the programs that you're able to apply to. But each additional program costs another $43. So let's say you apply to another, you want to apply to 14 programs. For your, your first four, you're going to pay $110. And then 43 times 10 additional programs is $430. So you're going to be paying $540. So just kind of keep that in mind. So you don't want to get too carried away with how many programs you apply to, but you kind of want to keep that cost in the back of your mind. Yeah, that's like five years of Netflix right there. Five years of bit of Netflix and yeah, wow, that's pretty impressive. But yeah, my financial advisor told me to put everything in terms of years of Netflix. That's a that's a good good way to look at things. So speaking of years of Netflix, what about the national matching service fee that they have to pay as well? So I'm glad you brought that up. One of the things you absolutely have to do is register for the match. You don't have to do it right away. You can kind of budget for this, but you have to pay the match registration fee, which is as a 2019, it's $160. It's going to be similar to that today. That's an additional fee. So you said, where were we at with your example of 14 yeah, programs? 500 so and- $540. So that 160 40. adds up nicely to a nice $700. How many Netflix years is that? How many Netflix years? I think this, I think that adds two more years of Netflix, right? Oh yeah, there or maybe you go. an extra year. Was it like six? Probably a, probably an extra year. So probably extra year. Yeah, it's not so getting hard. that's not getting ahead of ourselves with an extra two years, right? Right. Yeah. So seven hundred dollars, but you also have to think about you know just not not that this is a financial episode, but you know you also have to think about sometimes your your transcripts are going to cost money to for that potentially traveling for interviews. So it can get pretty pricey pretty quickly as mm-hmm. you go through. And if you go to mid-year, obviously that that's going to be a whole nother cost. So budget appropriately. Talk yes. to somebody if you have questions, please. Yeah, especially if you're not sure if you need to apply to the programs. You know, each one's $43. If you can talk to someone to help you limit the number of programs, that would be helpful. But that's just getting you to use the service. So like what all you have to do on forecast? Yeah. There's a lot of things you have to do on forecast and I know it seems tedious and that it takes forever, but it's, but it's important because each program that you apply to is going to use it a little bit differently, like you mentioned. So you have your basic profile where you kind of set up your just general information about who you are, where you go to school. And then they ask you a lot about other things that align a lot with your CV. So how are those things going to be different? Yeah, so it breaks it up in like the categories of like leadership, service, and it really feels like you're just copying over your CV. And in a lot of cases, it is. You are literally just copying over your CV into the individual fields because everybody's CV is a little different, but it allows you to give descriptors. So like you may or may not have put descriptors on your CV. If you didn't put descriptors, this is your chance to really describe those activities in more detail. It allows you to add a lot of additional points about the activities yeah. and things you participated in. Yeah, and I would even say you could even expand on some of the descriptions you might even have on your CV. So mm-hmm. so you, if you're having like very short bullet points, you could even expand on that in a couple of sentences. So these could be more of like complete sentences or thoughts. And these fields are searchable. You know, we're talking about that web event. We just talked about it so you could just, once again, understand the other side. Uh, programs can actually select and search and print reports on specific things that you put into forecasts. So just your leadership, just your GPA stuff, all that stuff you're copying over. They can pull those individual reports and see that. So they may look at those instead of your CV. So we get the question all the time, do I really have to 
copy over everything from my CV into forecast? Or can I just leave all those fields blank and just upload my CV? Well, the I know everybody wants the answer of just to upload <laughs> no, your CV. Just upload your CV. But uh, I'm going to have to say it's in your best interest to copy everything over and expand on it in forecast. The reason being, like you said, every program, when they approach evaluating candidates, is going to go about it a little bit differently. Some might not even really look at what you put into forecasts. Some might only look at what you put into forecasts. Some might use your CV. Some might not. So I, and I think it's going to be variable depending on the program that you apply to. So go ahead, fill it all out. It's going to be worth it in the end. And let's make point here that when you download your application PDF, it's the first thing at the top. So the PDF goes in order of showing all those fields you put in, then your letters of reference, then your CV, and then your transcripts. So your CV is the third thing. So if someone's just scrolling through that PDF, they're not going to see your CV till they've all, already seen a lot of things. It's the first thing that shows up. You want it to be filled out. It doesn't matter if they're going to scroll past it. Just in case they don't, you want it to be filled out. You don't want them to get their first impression to be, oh, they didn't do much or they haven't really, it doesn't seem like they've done anything here. You also want it, and this is how I use it at RPD. I'll go all the way down to the CV first. I don't like looking at those fields. It's too jumbled. But as I'm reading the CV, there's a lot of times I'll read something and I'll be like, ooh, I want to know more about that. I want to know more of what they did here. And I'll scroll up to that section of those because my expectation is I'm going to find more information, a little more descriptors there, and then I'll read about more of what they did. So if that's blank, then I'm just sitting there with like, oh, I guess I don't know. And, and it could be something that makes or breaks you in terms of being uh, invited to interview. So absolutely. Yeah. So you've got all those fields that you input. And then in terms of like the time, like this is not something you can do in one night. This is not something I think you would even want to do in a couple nights. It's going to take a long time and you don't want to be frustrated putting this stuff in because that's when you make mistakes. So, you know, piece out the time, give yourself a lot of time. It's going to be a while for you to completely fill out your forecast application. Yeah, I would say, you know, sign up as soon as you know that you're going to apply to residency programs and start filling out some of those fields and kind of updating them as you go. If you kind of just chew off a little bit of section each each night, I think that will be the best in, in terms of making sure that information is accurate, it makes sense, and that you've done your best job putting that information in there. Yeah, and it opens sometime it opens sometime in the summer or fall. It's one of those. It'll tell you on the website, but it's not always open. It closes down around this time of year, like it's closed right now. You can't get on there. And then they'll reopen when the next it's time for the next cycle. So we've got we talked about that. We talked about the fields. You know, of course you're gonna upload your C V, so that needs to be up to date in there. Then you've got your letters of reference. Let's talk about those for a little bit. How does that process work? Yeah, so basically you can request obviously you should listen to our episode about requesting letters of recommendation but when you're doing that in forecasts once you've solidified those letters of recommendation writers then you'll go into forecasts you'll request letter writers to and you'll kind of send them this notification that hey i'm going to be applying to this program or you can just write request a general a letter of recommendation. And then on the other end, the letter writer will get a notification 
through their email that they can go in and fill out your letter of recommendation. Once they've solidified it or finished it and submitted it, then you can go back in and attach that letter of recommendation to a specific program that you're applying to. So make sure like if you're labeling your individual, if you're having them write individual ones for each program that you're labeling them appropriately and that you're connecting the right one to the program that you're applying to. Yeah, because it's purely based on your labeling. That's a good point. So you can have them just write one general letter and send it to all programs, or you can do specific ones. Understand the from the reference writer perspective, and we talk about this in our reference writer episode, they can carry fields forward. So just because you send them 12 individual letters doesn't mean you're getting 12 individual letters. They just might carry everything forward to their the next reference letters. They might just end up annoying your reference writer. So Sean, one other thing that we hadn't talked about in kind of in this application piece on forecast is trans. So do you want to describe what that looks like and what that how candidates would use the transcript? From the candidate's perspective, it looks like just total fear and panic because that's usually the thing they worry about the most right. is their transcripts. If it feels like it's the one thing out of your control. So you wanna we always recommend requesting transcripts early. We've got some really good advice on previous episodes where people have told us that they, you know, once you get to December, you get that new semester of grades. A lot of people, just in case, will send in an early transcript. You don't have to do this. This is just a point if you're one of these anxious people. But you can send in an early transcript from what you have through the summer and then just send in a new transcript when you get those in December, just in case there's any issues with the registrar's office or something like that. They'll upload your old one, then they'll replace it with your new set of transcripts. So that's a tip you can do. But if you're just one of those who waits till the um, time to submit them, it's usually in December. As soon as grades are posted, you want to request your registrar's office to send those transcripts over. There's a whole process that will walk you through it on forecast. It's very specific on what they'll accept. They will not accept printed or sent in ones from the candidate. And then once they get them, which they can get them electronically or through the mail, it takes them about five days to post them from the date they receive them. And they'll let you know if there's any errors or issues. Most of the time, the errors deal with you named the school one thing, you misspelled it, and your registrar named it another thing. So there's like a discrepancy there. They're very forward about what discrepancies there are. And they have a lot of stuff about if you don't have transcripts or your school pharmacy is no longer around and transcripts aren't there, which is rare. You know, they have issues and work throughs for all those things. So as soon as you can ask and get those transcripts sent, do not wait to do that. That's the biggest piece of advice that we can give you is to just get that done so you're not worried about it. You'll probably have a an associate dean of academic or student affairs that will help with that process. So I know in some of the places that we've worked or have been associated with, that person will help with that process and getting those transcripts requested. So kind of just talk to some of your faculty members, wherever, whatever school you're at. There's a specific process for that at that institution. So lastly, kind of, I think we've covered everything pretty much about forecasts. Yep. What would just be some general like big tips or advice or takeaways that you would give potential applicants? So my biggest point of advice is I love to do the the block time, especially when you're getting into the fall of the year you're applying for residencies. You know, set that block time for forecast time because it's just like one of those, it's a remedial task. You're not like having to write essays and stuff like that. You're not having to use a lot of critical thinking. It's just usually a lot of task work. So just set aside some time each week to get that done so you don't build it up. It'll help you feel less anxious. It'll help get some of those 
to-dos out of the way. And my other piece of advice from the RPD perspective is to, is to, I don't know. Oh, your letter of intent. Yeah. I forgot to say that. I was just going to say something about that after. Oh yeah. And my other piece of advice is to correct something I said earlier, which was the list of things. Your letter of intent is somewhere in your application. I believe it's right before your CV or it's above your letters of of reference, but it's not at the end, but that shows up in there too. So it's one of the things (laughs) we'll see. What's your advice, Taylor? Kind of going off of that, I think, you know, this is a very stressful process and it's a big undertaking to upload all those materials, your all all the information and forecasts, your letter of intent, your letters of reference, your transcripts, and coordinating all of that simultaneously. Just make sure, do your best before you hit that submit button. Make sure to double and triple check that you have attached the correct things to the correct programs that you're applying to. So once you've uploaded it, just double check and click on it and look at the document. Even if the document says the name that you think it should, just double click in the document and make sure that it's the correct one because sometimes things get uh, misnamed um, in our own personal computers and I would just double check and I would hate for you to miss out on a on a program because you're addressing the letter of intent to the wrong program. So just double and triple check things before you hit that orange submit button. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I like that. I concur. If you want to continue to hear up-to-date topics from us and our guests, please like and subscribe. You can listen to us for free on your favorite podcast app and check out our show notes below to see links and highlights of the episode. And remember, you can separate and stand out.